Um, so for me, what got me into student advocacy was actually college textbook prices. And if I got to go on this trip, I got a free t-shirt. So, so I, I signed up. The notion that nothing is more powerful than the personal story. This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. For today's episode, we have a session from our National Legislative Summit about student advocacy. This session happened before most of the students attending the session headed over to Capitol Hill to advocate for themselves and their institutions. Rosie O'Neill, an ACCT board member and trustee at Northern Virginia Community College, moderated the session, and Rich Williams, an officer for the Project on Student Borrower Success at the Pew Charitable Trust, also spoke along with a number of students. Student advocates have a tremendous impact in Washington because members of Congress and their staffers know that the students have firsthand knowledge of how national policy affects their lives and studies. This morning, um, we've heard from a couple of speakers, as, as you all have been part of this process today, and they talked about the current climate in Washington, as well as very specific issues that are facing our community colleges and our students in particular. And so we're gonna build on those conversations now, and we're gonna discuss advocacy. Why is advocacy important, and how can you specifically make a difference? And we're joined by two panelists who are here uh, for this bigger conversation and the role of community college advocacy, both now and going forward. It's now my pleasure to present our, our two speakers. Stephen Parker directs policy and advocacy for education and workforce issues at the National Governors Association. And in that role, he leads the Governor's Education and Workforce Committee and is the liaison between governors and the federal government on education and workforce issues. Recently, Stephen led the governor's partnership with Congress to pass the Every Student Succeeds Act. Congratulations on that. Applaud for Congress, don't applaud for me. Yeah, I don't know, you see, but you made it happen so that we're, we know that. All right, prior to working for the nation's governor, Stephen served as senior special assistant to Governor Tim Kaine. Virginia's own, and senior policy advisor to the uh, adjutant general of the Virginia National Guard, who's the most senior administrator, if I'm not mistaken, right? So that's a big deal. Stephen is a graduate of Southside Virginia Community College and now serves on the college's foundation board. He has also received a Bachelor of Arts from Longwood University and studied political leadership at the University of Virginia and public policy at the College of William and Mary. Stephen is making the rounds around Virginia. Yes. Yes. Virginia. Good. Also joining us is Rich Williams, and Rich is an officer for Pew's Project on Student Borrower Success, where he specializes in evidence-based research, policy development, and advocacy. The initiative promotes successful repayment of student loans, something we all care about, um, but especially among borrowers at greatest risk for delinquency and default. Before joining Pew, Rich worked on issues related to college affordability and student loan financing and repayment for, off, for the Office for Students and Young Consumers at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and as the Senior Higher Education Policy Advisor for the House Committee on Education and the Workforce under Congressman George Miller and Bobby Scott. Before working in government, Rich represented student interests in front of policymakers in DC as the lead advocate for the U.S. Public Interest Research Group student chapters. Rich is a first-generation college student who attended Coconino, 
Coconino. Coconino Community College and Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff, Arizona. Um, I'm also first generation, so yay, first gens. Um, so thank you both for being here, and we hope to keep today's session um, as an open dialogue. This is really an opportunity for all of you to ask questions, but we're gonna get started with um, asking you all if you would provide some additional insight into your specific roles here in Washington. Well, hello everyone. Uh, it's so great to see you all. So we really do hope to keep this uh, open. There's mics around. Um, we could feel it out whether folks wanna shout out questions. Um, I think both of us can speak to um, you know, these questions about how you can be better at advocating for student interest and your college interests um, at the local level, uh, state level, and federal level. Um, so at least for my experience, um, I've been in DC um, about the last 10 years, um, and I've been fortunate enough to kind of see policymaking from all sides. So I started off at a nonprofit uh, that actually represented students, had student membership across the country. Um, and in that role, uh, for about five years, I was able to work on uh, helping lobby for some of the uh, recent biggest advances in uh, student aid. Um, so uh, Congress's change to uh, direct lending, um, so cutting kind of the big bank middlemen, that's before your time, but produced a lot of money that was put into Pell Grants um, so that future generations could uh, not have to borrow so much in student loans. I've also uh, been on the Hill side. Um, so I've worked for Congress specifically for the House Education Workforce Committee, uh, where I got to see the uh, kind of policy development from the staff side. And we understand that you're gonna be uh, going to actually lobby some Hill staff uh, maybe tomorrow or the next few days. So we can definitely give you some tips on how to do that. Um, and I also saw the administrative, the executive side. So working for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, uh, which is a bank regulator uh, that has oversight over the nation's largest uh, student loan servicers. Um, so in that role was able to help advance um, enforcement of consumer protection policies, including suing some of the most predatory college programs um, uh, for defrauding students. Um, but my start in student advocacy was not in DC, it was actually on campus. Um, so I uh, was uh, a student in 2003, just coming out of high school, um, first generation college student, had no idea what to expect, but I knew that I needed to go to college. My family dedicated all of you know, their savings as we were growing up to make sure that I could actually get into college. Uh, but then once I got there, I was like, oh crap, what do I do now? Um, and what I figured out was what most students experience is uh, getting to college is just the first step, but then navigating um, kind of your classes, buying textbooks, uh, room and board, all those co costs start to pile up. Um, so for me, what got me into student advocacy was actually college textbook prices. Um, so I went into the bookstore the first year and I was like, oh man, like $200 for a math textbook. Like math, geometry hasn't changed in you know, hundreds of years, What's, what, what gives? And what I realized was um, actually, um, it, you know, it's, it's not just as uh, a simple, um, uh, well, think problems can be more complex. And sometimes there is special interests um, that um, may want to profit from students. So what I realized, uh, or how I got into student government for the first time was um, a campaign my local student government was doing, um, kind of bringing, uh, uh, pulling back the veil on textbook costs. 
Um, and they found in research with other student governments that actually uh, textbook publishers were doing certain tactics that drive up the costs of textbooks. Um, so creating new editions every two years, um, kind of saran wrapping like books and materials together that not everyone would use. Um, and that didn't need to be the case. Um, so I got to realize um, the own power uh, of student advocacy by working with my student government to um, uh, advocate for state policies uh, to make textbooks more affordable. Um, and so hopefully um, throughout the conversation today we can share a little bit more about those types of campaigns, whether it's having a voice on college affordability, working with your own school, uh, or also working uh, to pass state or federal legislation. Hey everyone, I want to take a quick break to remind you all that the 50th annual ACCT Leadership Congress is coming up and we're looking for innovative presentations from ACCT member colleges and affiliates. Check out congress.acct.org for our call for presentations, registration, to find out about sponsorship opportunities and more. And now, back to the show. Um, so we were we had listen, we had heard from Rich around his particular experience and his advocacy focus when he was in college around textbooks and affordability. So let's turn to Stephen and hear a little bit about his experience. Great, thank you. So just a quick note on on what I do here in D.C. So so the bio that 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 was read is, is accurate, or, and it was accurate until about seven months ago. So, so about seven months ago, I have taken over uh, actually the entire, uh, the entire lobbying shop for the nation's governors. And so basically, when you think of governors, you think of the governors of your states, you think of the importance of them as the chief executive officers of your states, and also, more importantly, the folks who sign the checks that their state legislature gives them that goes to colleges. But you don't think of them as having a, a a voice and a federal presence um, here in DC, but they do. And the reason why is because about 10, uh, 10 to 40% of, of state budgets across agencies and uh, in, in state government are actually made up of federal funds. And so when you think about, in some cases, 40% of, of funds at a, at a state agency being made up of federal funds that are coming in, you realize the importance of being here in DC and advocating on behalf of uh, the things that you care about as governor um, to make sure that you're providing for your citizens. Because if, if any of you have seen the cost of tuition rise, um, in your states, and many of you have, if not all of you, um, you know that uh, it is very hard to fill gaps when there are costs that the state cannot fill. And if those federal dollars were to go away, then essentially we, states, governors would be in a, in a very hard spot in order to replace those dollars. So really at NGA, um, our, our goal is to make sure that governors uh, have a voice across all areas, but um, education, higher education has taken special significance at, at the National Governors Association um, over the past 110 years since we were founded. And the reason why is this, it's one, because there is really no area where federal influence has grown more um, than in education. And the, the reason why governors have felt the need to focus the National Governors Association on education is because one, um, we need their resources and the cost of education is rising, K-12 education, early childhood education, higher education, and the workforce development. Um, we, we need federal dollars for all those things, but also more importantly, uh, the role and the influence of the federal government over what states do on education has, has grown. 
And so from our perspective, I think we're a little disjointed as far as what we want on education in the states. But um, when it comes to higher education, I think we're looking for what you're looking for. We want it to be affordable. We want there to be accountability and results for um, what higher education institutions are doing in the classroom to make sure that you all succeed. And we want you all to be able to live a good life after it's over. Not only to make sure that you're prepared with the skills that you need to um, be successful in the workplace, but we also wanna make sure that higher education institutions are making sure that you all are prepared with life skills in order to make sure that you live a good life outside those eight hours or 10 hours or 12 hours or however long you work every day. So the reason that I advocate is one, because governors pay me to, and governor and I like governors, but, but the reason that I advocate most is because state government touches everyone. It touches everything that you all do. Um, it is responsible for when you turn the lights on in the morning, uh, to when you drive to school, to when you uh, have a high quality education in your classroom, um, for how you get home at night, for how you're able to turn on your stove, and how you're able to turn off the lights when you go to bed at night. State government touches everything, and I'm proud to work in D.C. and advocate on behalf of state governments to make sure that all of the things that you rely upon every day work. Now, how did I get into this business? Um, well, I actually had never thought about advocacy um, at all my entire childhood. Um, I used to work the polls for different presidential candidates. Um, I used to I used to knock on doors for local candidates um, when I was young, going all the way back to eight years old. <clears throat> but I never thought about policy, and I never thought about my voice meaning anything. Um, when I was a freshman in community college, and I am, I'm a proud graduate of a community college, um, one of my uh, history professors walked in and said, there's a trip to Richmond next week. Uh, anybody who's interested in going and, and, and lobbying on behalf of community colleges, let me know. So of course I raised my hand because, you know, T-shirts with my college's logo on it was expensive. They were 40 bucks. And if I got to go on this trip, I got a free T-shirt. So, so I, I signed up. Also, it was a chance to get out of class. It was a chance to do a lot of things. Uh, particularly, it was a chance to see the state capitol. And so uh, our, our only three people ended up going. Our, our, my professor drove us up to the, up to the state capitol, needed to still park the car, and he, he, he shoved a T-shirt three times too large into my hands and, and said, go find where you're supposed to be, and I'll, I'll eventually find you. And on my way there, uh, there was a really, really tall man that I thought I recognized who, who decided to, to walk with me and, and my classmates. And, and that man was the governor of Virginia at the time, Mark Warner. And uh, he asked us where we were from, and he asked us what we did, and he asked us what our classes were, and, and he was on his way to the same rally that we were supposed to be at. And, um, and basically, I, I talked to him, I told him about my life, I told him my story uh, in, in a very short amount of time. I only had about two minutes with him, but, but I did everything that, that he asked me to, which is tell him about myself. And then uh, he got up there and, and did his traditional, like, rah-rah, community colleges matter, fund them speech. And he started a chant, and, and uh, it was just an incredibly special experience. Um, and so my professor came up. My professor was a huge Republican. And, uh, and was, you know, during the chant, he, I think the chant was something along the lines of not a student left behind, not a one. And so, of course, he was in the back grumbling, you know, what does that mean? Um, and so, you know, one of the things that happened after it was over is, you know, uh, my, my professor asked me, you know, hey, did, do you feel like you advocated today? Do you feel like you chanted? Do you feel like you cheered on community colleges? And I said, yes. Um, but I talked to the governor and, you know, I, I didn't really ask him for anything. 
And he said, well, what did, you, what did you tell the governor? And I said, well, I told him about my experience at community colleges. I told him what, what it meant to me. I told him the classes that I took. I told him you know, where I came from and the fact that I wouldn't be at community college. I, I wouldn't be in college if it weren't for community college and Pell Grants and everything else. And he said, well, you advocated. You let the governor know that there's at least one student in the state who actually is, is, is going to be successful because of the dollars that he signed the check to go into community colleges. And so what I would say to you all is this, and we'll get into tips later, but um, the most important thing that I'll discuss today and, and how you advocate is telling lawmakers, telling Hill staff, Capitol Hill staff, uh, state legislative staff, governor's office staff, um, st local legislators, local council members, tell them your story. Let them know where you came from because honestly, uh, I would not be where I was today without community college. And I would imagine you all would not be who you are today without community college. And state legislators, governors, capital, folks on Capitol Hill, whether that be staff or members, they want to know that. We've heard that piece of advice now over the course of various um, get-togethers at ACCT and again today, the notion that nothing is more powerful than the personal story. Because people will forget the facts, they will not forget the story. And so with that in mind, let's talk about tips because I think this group is very interested. I know some of you are going right to meet with your regional groups and perhaps going onto the Hill this afternoon. How do we actually execute advocacy? So there's the opportunity seized, which is what I heard, Stephen, Professor says, who wants to go to Richmond? Got a piece of swag, awesome. But more importantly, it put you in a position to be present, right? So if you're not there, you can't do much about it. Um, or can you? Are there other ways to advocate if you can't physically get there? Tell us a little bit about what you've seen um, as people come to you and as you've experienced advocacy. Rich? Great, yeah. Um, happy to share some thoughts. So just, um, we touched, on the idea of kind of like how you, you make change a little bit, but who here has lobbied before? Uh, state level, federal level, right? Keep your hand up if it was state. Keep your hand up if it was federal. All right. Um, for those of you who haven't raised your hand, um, I can tell you, you probably have already lobbied for something. Uh, may not have been on legislation, uh, but lobbying is simply bringing a case to a decision maker. Um, decision makers are all around us. Um, this really isn't, you know, a complicated skill that you have to be worried about. Um, decision makers are, you know, when you were younger, your own parents. Uh, imagine, you know, making your case to your parents about wanting to go out and stay up late or, you know, whatever it was. That is lobbying. Um, so how we describe power sometimes in D.C. is um, they're just a decision maker. Um, and in D.C., they're generally uh, elected uh, leaders that represent constituents. Um, and that's one of the reasons why uh, your voice has uh, a lot of power. Um, you are generally one of the constituents, and also as student leaders, uh, you represent many more of them. Um, so one of the biggest things that I think, um, the personal story is exactly it, um, sharing kind of your experience and your story. So um, we sometimes joke around, and it's more real than I care to admit, DC is 10 square miles surrounded by reality. Um, too often, um, 
people forget what it's like. They, they lose that grounding. Sometimes it's because the decision maker is much older um, and their experience in college uh, is very different than your experience. Maybe they uh, went to, didn't even go to a community college. Uh, maybe they didn't have to, um, you know, scrape together um, financing because their family had a hard time funding it. Um, everyone's experience differs a little bit. So not only your personal story, but you have an ability to share uh, actual problems um, that are happening on campus right now um, that they might not have heard about, they probably haven't heard about. Um, so that's one thing I would say. Um, the other thing to think about as you're um, kind of thinking about having um, like a voice uh, over the next few days um, is just the influence you carry. So maybe we can just do a little, open it up a little bit, but like why do you think, um, in your experience, particularly folks who have like advocated for issues before, uh, why do students have power? Why do you have influence over decision makers? The, com um, the comment was that without students, there's no college. They're the customers. It's, it's why also students have a lot of influence within the college with your administrators. And let me tell you, you are already like leagues above many students um, having such a powerful ally like ACCT um, inviting you to the table and having that shared governance. Uh, numbers. There's a lot of students. Um, and that means a lot of constituents. And you're kind of the point of that uh, spear being a, a student leader. So when you're uh, advocating, whether it's the next few days here or back in your communities, like, no, you, have, you are different than many other special interests or folks that come to your representatives uh, because you, uh, you represent other constituents. Um, another thing I heard is um, um, it's, uh, we call it white hat advocacy, but um, you, you're not a special interest. Um, you're kind of pure, you just want a good education. Um, so they're meeting with people all day um, who want something from them. Um, your asks are simply helping to make your own education better and their own community better, and that resonates a lot. Um, so some of the things you can do as you go back um, to uh, your colleges over the next um, few days, um, so think about how you can use kind of your own time um, and I know it's not always easy to find time, but you're surrounded by a bunch of potential volunteers um, that can work with you to solve real problems. Um, and don't underestimate um, your own uh, enthusiasm and energy. Um, and I heard that from everyone who raised their hand today. Um, I think folks forget just having that kind of energy and enthusiasm um, when you're meeting with decision makers is incredibly valuable. That's the thing they're gonna remember. It's gonna be that story, it's gonna be that person. It's not necessarily gonna be the fact or the figures. Yeah. Great tips. One thing I didn't hear anybody say was time. So what you guys have is a lot of time to invest in this issue and these issues going forward to the extent that you are constantly putting those issues on the table and really making sure that they're, they are present. Uh, that's very, very important. This has been part one of a two-part series on student advocacy. As always, thank you for listening and don't hesitate to get in touch if you have ideas for future episodes. We'll see you next week.